Fantastic. If you don't know me, my name's Richard. I'm one of the elders here at City Church, lead the church together with Dan, uh, who's down at the front here. Um, I'm going to be preaching today from Hebrews chapter 7. If you've heard me preaching recently, we've been going through the letter to the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, and we've come to this chapter, which a lot of people think, it's chapter 7, it's Melchizedek. Who on earth was Melchizedek? What on earth has that got to do with anything? But this is great truth. This is wonderful truth in God's words. We've come, I'm going I'm to read the passage. We're going to read the whole the whole of chapter 7, and then we'll, we'll kind of look at how we've got to this point. Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And, without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we've said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it's declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Okay, fairly big chunk, all of Hebrews chapter 7. 
But you see that Hebrews chapter 6 ends with the, uh, with the writer again bringing that statement that Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we began to look at the subject of Jesus as our great high priest back in, in chapter, the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. When we looked at that, that was back in October. So if you were here, you may still have forgotten. If you weren't here, you wouldn't have heard it, but it was a while ago. But he's effectively picking up his argument here, and so am I. No. All the way through Hebrews, he's been building up this picture, this wonderful picture. Something far greater has come. Jesus has come, and he is greater than the angels. Jesus has come, and he is greater than Moses. Jesus has come, and he is the Son of God. The writer starts his letter looking at that. God has spoken by his Son. In the past through the prophet, but now God has spoken by his Son. And on chapter 5, in chapter 5, when we looked at that, there was a focus on Jesus being the priest. And in effect, looking at how Jesus was like Aaron and all the other priests that we see throughout the Old Testament. He shows some similarities, showing how Jesus, like Aaron, was appointed by God. How Jesus, like Aaron, was appointed from among his brothers. He was a man. He is a man. He's the son of God and he's completely God, but he's also fully man. And how, like Aaron, but in a slightly different way, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Draws out those similarities, but also even then hinting at the differences that Aaron and his order of priests, all the priests that came after Aaron, they served God and they came and offered sacrifices. And Jesus has come as high priest, but there are differences. Hinted there, chapter 4, verse 15, yet he did not sin. Jesus, unlike the other priests, he was perfect. He didn't sin. And also, keeping on hinting that he's priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then, the author's distracted from his theme. He goes off and, look, we've got lots to say about this, but you're slow to learn and you You've stopped listening. And he gives that great warning in chapter 6. Before coming back to it here, having looked at the great promise that was given to Abraham, the certainty of it, that it is still being worked out now. It's been worked out through Jesus. That Abraham's offspring, through his offspring, he would bless the whole earth. He comes back. To this subject. Jesus is our great high priest. But here he's going to focus on those differences. He's looked at, he's like Aaron. He's like, you know, you know of the priests that have come before. It would have been so clear for them. They would have known the priests who'd come before Aaron and the Levitical line of priests that have served God. So he shows them, yes, there is similarities. Jesus comes like that. But now he's going to look, but look, Jesus is also, he's completely other. He's completely different. He is so much better, so much greater. And he does that by focusing on what God says about Jesus. And he does that by quoting, what he's doing is quoting from David in Psalm 110, verse 4. Which is where he gets that from. Psalm 110 verse 4. This is David prophesying what God says about Jesus. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And basically the whole of chapter 7 he's unpacking that and looking. Look, the Old Testament priests, they show you something of Jesus. But look, look at Jesus. He is so much greater, so much better, so different. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And in one sense, we could look and think, okay, what are we looking at? We're comparing two different priesthoods. What's what's this all about? The Levitical priests, 
the order of Aaron, and then the order of Melchizedek. We can see it must have been of great importance to them. They'd grown up with Aaron and, well, not with Aaron. Aaron was quite a long time before, but with priests in the order of Aaron. High priests who'd served in the temple and, in the, uh, and offered sacrifices. And so he's showing them, look, something better has come. And we can think, yeah, but we didn't grow up with that. But it's also important for us. Because it's also true for us. Jesus is our great high priest. And it's important for us because this is the word of God. And specifically, this is what God says about his son. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So the author moves into chapter 7 and he, he's going to show us what it, some of what it means to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he does that by looking at who Melchizedek was. And in doing that, how he resembles Jesus. And then he goes on to look after that at why is Jesus a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Why do we need this priest? Why has he come as this other priest of a different order? So we'll look at the what first. What is it to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Who was this guy? We've seen that David has prophesied about this. And from there, the author goes back to the, to the only other place where we see Melchizedek mentioned. And uh, I've asked two people to come and help me at this point. Benjamin, do you want to come up? And Elliot. We're going to look at the, uh, the only other place where Melchizedek is mentioned. Actually, boys, you've done exactly what I asked you to, but I want you to come here first. Is that all right? Can you come here first? I need to give you something. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 14. And this is what the Bible says about Melchizedek. What it says is that Abraham was coming back from a battle. And he had lots of treasure from the battle. And Melchizedek's going to need this. And Melchizedek's going to need that. Right, that's brilliant. Can you go back and stand over there? Yeah, you as well. Fantastic. Now, Abraham's going to move first. So you ready, Elliot? We ready? Now, there's three characters in this story. There's Abraham. He's over there. There's Melchizedek. And there's the king of Sodom. I'm going to be the king of Sodom. And the narrator. Fantastic. So, after Abraham returned, here he comes, from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him. Hello, Abraham. In the valley of Shaveh. Well, we're just off the valley floor so that everyone can see us. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Here he is. Fantastic. I have to keep finding my place, though. That's not good. Brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying... Now, Benjamin, do you want to read this or do you want me to read it? You're going to read it. Fantastic. It's just there. Blessed but be Abraham, my God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you, Benjamin. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham saying that, and then, now, Elliot, you've got to imagine that's only... That's only a tenth of what you got from the battle. You've got the rest back over there somewhere. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Fantastic. And Melchizedek's got his hands full now. And that's it. Thank you very much, boys. You've done very well. You can put your things down. Thank you very much. Absolutely fantastic. That is what we hear about Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high. That's it. Abraham's come back from defeating these kings. I'm going to have to move these, otherwise I'll fall over them. What's happened is four kings have come together and they've tackled these other five kings and 
in those five kings, there was the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and that's where Lot lived. And so Lot, Abraham's cousin, had been carried off when they'd lost the battle. And so Abraham rises up and he goes off and attacks these kings. And he wins Lot back and he brings back all the treasure. And so this is the meeting that happened on the way back. Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham. And so we could kind of think, well, that's all we hear about Melchizedek. Just this small meeting. What's it all about? And yet, in Hebrews chapter 7, we see that this was a very important meeting. And we see how much the, the writer of the Hebrews draws out. Look at this guy. Look at how he represents what Jesus was going to be for us. Let me get back to Hebrews chapter 7. So there are four things in particular that he draws out from that passage that Melchizedek, the priest, shows us what Jesus is like. And the first thing's in the first couple of verses. The Melchizedek is not only a priest, but he's a king. Melchizedek is king and priest. Verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. And then he goes on to look in the second, in the second verse. Look at what his name means. King of Salem, this place Salem, that meant peace. King of peace. But also his name, Melchizedek, could be translated as meaning king of righteousness. So we see this wonderful description. Look, look at what this guy represents. He's the king of peace, the king of righteousness. But he's also priest of God Most High. And this is a big change in the Levitical priesthood system. The priests, they weren't the kings. They had kings, but the priests weren't the kings. They were separate. But we see that Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek. He comes as king and priest. We see that in Psalm 110. Where in that passage where David makes that statement that God says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He also says, in verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. He's reigning on the throne. And Isaiah, in his wonderful prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, we see these themes picked up about Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see that prophecy that starts, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. This is Isaiah 9 verse 6. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We see it all through scripture, even in Hebrews, as we've been looking. The beginning of Hebrews We see Jesus again, seated at God's right hand. In that wonderful description in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. He's crowned. He's reigning. He's king. So this priest, this different priest who comes, is also the king. He's reigning. So Melchizedek points to Jesus because he is king as well as priest. What next do we see? This is where people get a little bit confused. What is he talking about in verse 3? Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And people will delve into this in depth and think, well, what does he, does he mean that Melchizedek 
what, what was he? Was he some kind of angel? Or was he, was he in fact Jesus in the Old Testament just appearing? Well, we're not told in specifics. And what I think the author is guessing at is, look, what do we actually see about Melchizedek? What, what do we actually see about him in Scripture? Well, we've read it. We've already read it. All of it. That's it. Well, who was his mother? Who was his father? Where did he come from? Who came before him? Who came after him? What? Who was the next priest? Who was the next king of Satan? What, 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 do we know any of these things? He's arguing from the fact, look, we don't see any of that about Melchizedek. Look at how, therefore, he points to Jesus, who truly does reign forever, who does live forever, who is the one who is forever on the throne, who is forever our high priest. And in comparison with all the priests who came after Aaron, we see Aaron. And then we see Aaron dies. And we see his sons are priests. And we see all these different ones. We see a long line of them. We see it specifically of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. In Exodus 4 and 6, we see how this genealogy is, 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 is worked in to, to the scripture. We see them talk about it. I need to find it. Exodus 4. Exodus 4 at the beginning. It's not Exodus 4 at all. That's a problem. Let's go to Exodus 6. Or I could just admit the fact that I've got completely the wrong... No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Exodus 6, in the middle of Exodus 6, we see this genealogy. And we see Aaron. And we see in... This is specifically the clans of Levi. And it's about Aaron. We see in verse 20, Amram married his father's sister Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. And we see, he's, he's tied into this line of people. He's, he, we can see his history. We can see it all. But look at Melchizedek. We see nothing. See nothing. So look how he resembles the Son of God. Jesus, who will reign and live forever as high priest and king. Not like Aaron and the Levitical priests who served for a time and then they died. And then another came, and then they died. And then another came, and then they died. No, look, Jesus comes. And you see, look at how Melchizedek pointed to him. We see nothing else about Melchizedek. He was just priest and king. And so therefore we see in Scripture how this is picked up. In Psalm 110 verse 4, you are priest forever. This is about Jesus. Isaiah 9, we've already looked at as well, that he will reign forever. That his kingdom will have no end. And from that time on and forever. So Melchizedek shows us a picture of a priest who will go on forever. One who will have a permanent priesthood. Again, he points us to Jesus. And what else does he say? Thirdly, Melchizedek was great. He was greater. Look how great this man is. Let's go from verse 4. Hebrews 7 verse 4. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. 
The writer builds up this picture of look how great Melchizedek is. Look how great he is. And he does it in two different ways. He does it by the fact Abraham gave him a tenth. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. But Abraham gave him a tenth. Why did Abraham give him a tenth? This isn't based on any regulation under the law. The law that was to come would say, yes, you need to give a tenth to the Levites, to the priests. For various reasons. For, but that was under the law. There was a, a reason for doing it. But yet Abraham comes to Melchizedek and gives him a tenth of the plunder. There's a sense of Abraham recognizing, I'm recognizing this guy. I'm bringing my offering to him. There's a whole sense in the passage of, who is this guy? Why is, why is Abraham doing this? And he brings this second thing that we can struggle with a little bit, that there's this whole, there's this sense of all of Israel coming and bringing their tenth. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Hmm. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. And again, this can be a kind of slightly odd argument to us. We can think, well, Levi wasn't there, was he? He wasn't born yet. But there's, there's that whole sense of, look, he's included with Abraham. He's with All of the nation is included as the only one there now is Abraham. They're all there. I, and Maybe this is helpful. We will see. I remember the story that my dad told me about my granddad. And my granddad was involved... Uh, in some form of the armed forces in the war. This is a very clear story. But he was involved in training, uh, and he was also part of a regiment and all that kind of stuff. And at one point, his group, his battalion, his regiment, I'm really good on armed forces, was called to go in the Second World War. They were going to go into battle. They'd been here in Britain, but they were going to go into battle. And at the last minute, they said, no, Mr. Owen... You need to stay and you need to carry on training up other troops. And then the news came in that that whole battalion were lost. And I remember telling a story to someone saying, wow, it was an amazing story of how my, my grandfather was kind of saved. And a horrible story about how these other guys died. But then he turned around to me and said, but yeah, your dad wasn't born then, was he? So it kind of saved your life as well. You weren't... The only representation of me at that time was still in my grandfather. My dad wasn't born. If my granddad had died, I would never have been. Now, if that's helpful, we can see something of look. That's in a very practical sense, and we can see it about death. But look, there's an inclusion in Abraham... He's the ancestor. He's the one. He represents all of Israel. So in that sense, look, Levi and all the others, they're all paying the tenth with Abraham. The whole of Israel is recognizing, look at Melchizedek. Look how great he is. We're going to recognize that he can collect a, a tenth from us. He can collect an offering from us. One who's greater than Abraham. It's a wonderful picture in the Old Testament that one greater than Abraham would come. This Abraham who received the promise that we saw in chapter 6. Abraham, the one who God called out and said, come to the land I will show you. Abraham, the one who God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he said, Abraham, look at the stars. This is how great your offspring will be. I'm going to bless the world through your whole family. This is a big deal that we're seeing. Look, one greater than Abraham would come. Abraham, the one in whom the Jews held their security as being Abraham's children. 
But what does Melchizedek show us? Look, look, one greater than Abraham will come. And what does God say to Abraham? Abraham, look, through Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations will, will be blessed. Through your offspring. One is coming. We looked at that last time. The seed or the offspring of Abraham, Jesus was coming. The one who was greater than Abraham. So Melchizedek again shows us Jesus by appearing a picture of one who was greater than Abraham. One who was greater than Abraham, showing the one who would come. The one who would come who would be greater than Abraham, Jesus. And the fourth thing that's also pulled out in those verses is that Melchizedek was not a descendant of Levi. He was great. He was greater. He's being recognized here as greater than Abraham. But he's also a priest who isn't a Levite. So what's he pointing to? He's pointing to something different. Something different. Something that goes beyond the natural family relationship, which meant that Levites were priests before God. Something that speaks of something apart from the law, which said, it's this family who are the, who are the priests before me. Pointing to one who would come not from Levi, but from a different tribe. As he's going to go on to say, and we'll, we'll see in a moment, in verse 14, it's clear our Lord descended from Judah. In that regard, in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So again, we see that Melchizedek points to Jesus as a priest who was coming, not, as the law said, from Levi, from that tribe, but a different priest, a different one who is coming. So Melchizedek shows us four things that point to Jesus. That he was king as well as priest. That he would reign and he would be priest permanently forever. That he was one that was coming that was greater. Greater even than Abraham. And that he is one who is from a different tribe. He was not priest as had been under the law, a Levite. Or if you want something, I tried to make something snappy that took all those four in. I've got four words that end with E-R. That Jesus would be ruler, forever, greater, and other. If that helps you to remember, you can remember it. If not, forget it now. But this is four things that point to Jesus. Look. Yes, Aaron and the priest showed us something, but look, Jesus was going to be better. He was going to be different. He was going to be greater. And the author then moves to look at why. Why does Jesus come like this? We'll read from verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. That's the question that the author's asking. Look, we had the law. We had the priests. We had Aaron and his line of priests and the law that he was upholding or, or, or working under. Why was there a need for another a different priest. Let's carry on. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we've said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it's declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's stop there. We see the author confirms, yes, look, Jesus comes as a priest like Melchizedek, or in the order of Melchizedek. Not like Aaron. He talks of him of whom these things are said. 
in verse uh, 13. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. That's talking about Jesus. He of whom these are said is one who is greater. Is one who is king. And specifically here in these verses, he focuses on the fact that he's not from Levi, but he's from Judah. And we see one who is not based, who has a priesthood that's not based on the regulation of the law, but on what? This great phrase, on the power of an indestructible life. And we see this picture that Melchizedek has shown us of one who will be forever. When we looked at Melchizedek, we see no sign of his death or of his birth or of his genealogy and, and how this resembles the Son of God. When we look at Jesus, we see, in truth, the one who has an indestructible life. The one who will reign forever. The one who has conquered the grave. The one who is truly alive forever. As Dan's been looking at over the past two weeks, the one who is risen. We see that he's not priests because of natural descent through the legal system. But because he has risen from the grave, because he has conquered death, because he reigns, because he is the one who God has put in place to be priest forever. But what we're looking at here is why. He's asked the question, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law, then why not carry on with Aaron? Wasn't the law perfect? Isn't the law what God has given through Moses with the priests and the priesthood that came with it? Yes, the law is perfect. In Romans 7, as part of a bigger argument on this, Paul says these couple of things. Romans chapter 7. And verse um, 1, I think. No, verse 7. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And he also goes on to say, in verse 12, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. The law, it was perfect, it was good. Why was there a need for another priest? Why was there a need for this, as he says, change in the law, this new covenant coming in, this new order, this one from a different tribe? Why? He answers us, in verse 18 to 25. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The simple answer is that We needed something else because the the former regulation had to be set aside because it was weak and useless. It was perfect, but it was weak and useless because it couldn't make anything perfect. Perfection couldn't come through the Levitical priesthood, through the order of Aaron and the law which had given the people that priesthood. Why? Romans chapter 3. Why was it weak and useless? Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And then verse 21. No. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we see in Romans? We see what the writers of the Hebrews is saying. No one is declared righteous by works of the law. What the law does is it shows us our sin. It shows us this truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law is weak and useless because we can't do it. We fall short. And therefore it cannot deal with sin properly. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 similarly talk about us being dead in our sins. About us being rebellious, fallen people. And the law cannot change that. But, as Romans says, it does show us our sin. It shows up, look how far short I fall. So what we see is an old system where under the law, the priests continually offered sacrifices, but they couldn't deal fully with sin. So then why does Jesus come as priest in the order of Melchizedek, is priest of a better new way so that a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. A better hope, hope in Christ. Hope in Christ, our different, our better priest. A priest of a different, better covenant. Well, it says that Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. And again, he talks about an oath. In chapter 6, he talks about how the promise given to Abraham was sealed by an oath. And because of that, look, God can't lie in the first place. But look, he sealed it with an oath. Look how sure this is. Now Jesus, as well, is declared as priest forever with an oath. Look how sure and secure that is. But what the writer is saying is, look, we couldn't go on with the order of Aaron. We couldn't go on just continually offering sacrifices under the law. We needed a new order. We needed a new priest. The former regulation was set aside because it was weak and useless. And a better hope is introduced. Those other passages, Romans 3 and and in Ephesians 2... Let's turn to Ephesians 2. They both have this kind of flip around. Let's read Ephesians 2 now, 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time and gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. See this parallel, under the law, we were dead. But now in Christ, we're made alive. It's a better hope, a hope justified by grace. We're justified by grace, sorry. Because now we have one who is able to save completely. Why? Because he is forever interceding. Forever reigning. This isn't a temporary thing. But it's forever. He has won. 
Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That's why Jesus comes as a priest like this. That's why we're pointed back to Melchizedek. Look, something different is coming and has now come. Something different. Not just a continuation of another priest under the law. Not another Aaron and another one and another one. Not even an Aaron who lived forever. Something different. It's pointing to the fact that the writers of the Hebrews will go on to look at later on. That the old covenant was just a shadow of what was to come. The old covenant, the old priesthood look. It was, it was Showing us, look, something better is coming. Jesus is coming. So what's the point for us? Let's read verse 25 to the end. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. We can look and we can see, well for them we can see the clear risk as the writer of the Hebrews has been alluding at through the book. Don't go back to the old order. Don't go back to the synagogue. Why are you even thinking of turning away and going back to that? And we can think, well that's not us. That's not us. We're not thinking of going back to Judaism. For most of us we were never specifically in Judaism. We never followed it like that. But the truth for us is we can still be tempted to turn back to the law. To turn back to that attitude of what can I do? What do I need to do? What sacrifice do I need to bring again and again? What thing do I need to do to make myself good enough? Or even just to think, am I good enough? Am I really good enough to be allowed in? And the writers of the Hebrews call to us is, like them, no, don't go back. Don't go back. This is the outworking of the fact that we have such a high priest who's come in the order of Melchizedek. He has done it once and for all. He has made the way. A better way has opened up. We have this priest who is greater, who is reigning forever, who is priest forever, who is not continuing the old system, but he fulfilled the law in sacrificing once for all himself. So now we are able to come in. Not by what we do. Not by what we maybe could bring again and again and again. Like the priests in the old covenant. No. We can come. Because of what he has done. Because we have this great high priest. That's what it says. This wonderful truth, verse 25. He is able to save completely. And verse 26, such a great high priest truly meets our needs. He's made the way. In his grace, in him, we are saved completely. So let's not turn back Think, what do I need to do? What do I, how do I need to make my way in? No. Melchizedek shows us 
Jesus comes like this. Melchizedek just points the way. Points to this one who is greater. He has come. He has done it. So let's keep going, pressing into him. And let's marvel. Let's marvel at this book. At this, the wonder of God's words. How do we look at it? Particularly the Old Testament, particularly some of these stories. Is it just the old stuff that's gone before? Or do we see it like the author to the Hebrews does? Look at how, even throughout the Old Testament, it's pointing, it's showing us Jesus. It's showing us Jesus who is to come. This book is about Jesus. Even three verses in Genesis 14. Show us our great high priest who lives forever, who is reigning forever. It's his story. He is central to it. So we have this great high priest. Let's press into him. God's plan. Jesus came. He has sacrificed himself once and for all. So that we have this better hope that has been introduced by which we can draw near to God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that this is what you say about your son. That he is priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Thank you that as we look back into the pages of the Old Testament, we see this one who met Abraham. We see a picture of your son. Your son who is greater. The son who is not only priest but king, reigning on the throne. Forever. Forever. Not under the old order, which just foreshadowed it. But he has come. Guarantor of a new covenant. A new covenant sealed with an oath, yes, but by his blood. And now the way is open. Oh God, thank you Lord. Thank you Lord that we can draw near. We can draw near. Because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus is reigning. He is alive. He is risen. He is forever our great high priest. Amen. Let's worship him together.